the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been in a series entitled Seven Things, and it's based on seven things that I put in a video. Uh, we were having people saved, and they were coming and saying, okay, you know, I said the prayer, what do I do now? And I didn't want to just leave them hanging, you know, so we've made it now when somebody gets saved here, we'll have somebody to speak with you after the service to help you get started in your Christian walk. I made a video, and in that video it tells seven things, basic things that you need to do next. What do I do now that I'm saved? And I thought, well, hey, you know, we need to hear it too. We need to constantly remind ourselves because we, we forget. And so... We started a series on those seven things. If you hadn't seen the video and you want to see it, it's on our website. Just go to www.mypassion.church and check it out. And you'll probably be a little ahead of us on where we're going next. But the first two weeks, um, the first week was on prayer. No surprise there. One of the first things you do. Because all those seven things are leading you to the one thing that matters most. Your relationship with Jesus. And then... Last week, we talked about the need to stay settled and read and do the Word of God, right? So no surprises there. Pray and read your Bible. What do you think the, today's topic might be? Today's message is entitled, Church. It's kind of a big deal, <laughs> It's a, it is a big deal. Not everybody believes that today. A lot of people, even confessing Christians, say things like, well, I am the church. And they say it in a way meaning that they don't have to go to church. And I understand what they, they're inferring that the building is not the church, and the building is not the church. But I don't think you can say, I am the church. Because I looked up the Greek word that it uses in the Bible for church and it's ecclesia and the definition says a called out assembly or a congregation say assembly that means if you are the church how do you assemble by yourself if you are the church how do you are you a one man congregation no you are part of the church and a valuable part of the church. And if you're not in church with the rest of the church, you're not doing your churchly duty. we got to get a fresh perspective of what the church means. Church is kind of a big deal. <laughs> you know, I bet you we got two to 300 people that would say, if you ask them where they go to church, they would say, I go to Passion Church. But on an average... Sunday, sometimes we run in 50 or 60. That's not right. That's not right. We need you. The church needs one another. We're a called out assembly. Come on out your house and, and be part of the assembly of the congregation. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another. Well, there's a good place to stop and preach. 
Let us consider one another. If you're not coming to church, you're not considering other people. You're just being selfish. You're not bringing your supply to the house of God. Let us consider one another in in order to stir up love and good works. So you come to church, you get stirred up. How many of you leave every day when you come to church? You're stirred up, ready to go love until you get to the buffet and you cut somebody out in line or something. Then all that goes away. And that's why we have life groups during the week. But it says, stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Say assembling. Don't forsake it as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now is not the time to be missing church, my brother. What if he comes back on a Sunday and you laid up in the bed? No. We need to be exhorting one another. We need to be, that's what, exhorting one another. I'm getting you ready for when Jesus comes back, brother. We need to be helping one another out. Help me, help me. I'm fading. Help me. We need to be holding each other up and exhorting one another so much more as we're getting close to the end here. We can't, we can't afford to play games. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then it goes on to say, and He gave up His life for her. Jesus loves the church so much that He gave up His life for her. And why is it in the female? Why is it called a her? Was it called a female? You're a, you're a teacher. Tense. Why is it in the female tense? Because we're the bride of Christ. Exactly. Thank you. You don't think the church is a big deal. Jesus is marrying us. We're his bride. Church is kind of a big deal. Not something that I would just dismiss easily. Let me give you some reasons why I love the Passion Church, this particular local body. I just look around. These banners are who, what, when, where's, and why's. And, And I think we're a church that God has spoken to. We're a church with a vision. We're a church on the move. We're not some dusty, dry old church that's not going to do God's will. When you hook up with the Passion Church, you're hooking up with God's vision for this local body. Would you repeat this with me? Say, we are a warm, fun-loving family, eager to reach out with God's love and restore all who have lost their way. Everyone matters. We are a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. Now, if that don't get you, catch your wood on fire, your wood's wet. I mean, if that don't get you excited about what we're doing. I mean, this is what God's doing. This is just not something we're making up here. 
God has called us to be this. That excites the mess out of me. Oh, I'm excited. And we got a, a long-term vision. We, got, we, we, we understand where we're going. Today we're going to talk about the how banner back there. We're genuine, passionate, and relevant. Why is that important? Because I believe Jesus was all three of those. And as a church, if we will be those three, these will come easily. Jesus didn't come as a hireling. He didn't come for a paycheck, and neither did I. He's totally serious about you finding your real life here at His local body. He's totally serious about the passionate pursuit of true purpose in your life. And you helping others find that. He's totally serious about if you've lost your way, He wants you to help. He wants to show you that He is the way right here in this local church. He wants to show you these seven things that lead to Him. I'm telling you, He's serious about church. Church is kind of a big deal. I'm not talking about a pickle. So what do we mean when we say genuine? Well, the fact that uh, the first two parts of this series were on prayer and reading the Bible, that would lead me to think that we're sort of genuine around here. What, we, what I mean by genuine, what I see it, is means we're staying with the Word of God. We're the real deal. We want to be a church that's the church that Jesus wants us to be. We're not just trying to... Let's get her a mic. She's over here. <laughs> We're going to get you to preach one Sunday. Then I'll sit out there and, and lead you along. But she's always right, so she helps me. She says, <laughs> she's like an altar voice in my head. You know? But we seek to be genuine with God. We, we want to be a real church. We want to be something that's pleasing to God. There was a guy that he bought a parakeet from a local pet store and he got a cage and he took it home. And for two weeks, he sat in front of that cage saying, Polly want a cracker, Polly want a cracker. You know, just trying to get that parakeet to talk. Parakeet wouldn't talk. So he got frustrated. He got the cage and he took it back up to the pet store. He said, can I get my money back? I wanted one that talks and this one won't talk. And the pet store owner says, hmm. He said, I know what it is. You didn't get the perch that goes with the cage so the, the parakeet can sit on the perch. They, all, they, they almost always start talking when they're perched up right. And he says, okay. So he bought the perch. He put it, put it in the cage and tried to get that parakeet to talk for the next two weeks. Nothing. He brings it back to the store. Man, this is just a defective parakeet. I just Can I get my money back on this thing? It's not working. It's not talking. I have talked. I'm blue in the face. Nothing. He says, hmm, you got to get a ladder. The parakeet has to have to have something to climb. You're making him fly up to the perch. He ain't going to talk like that. But if you get that ladder, I'm pretty sure he'll start talking. All right. So he lays down the money, gets the ladder, goes home. Nothing. A couple weeks, he comes back. That's it, man. Parakeet's not talking. He said, do you have a mirror? Because parakeets like to look in the mirror. Almost every parakeet we've ever sold, when, once they look in the mirror, they start talking right away. He's like, all right. Fine, give me a mirror. He gets a mirror, goes home. 
Another couple weeks, he just can't take it no more. The parakeet dies. He brings it back, sets it on the counter. The pet owner says, oh my goodness, it died? Yep, I told you it was defective. He said, did it ever say anything? Yeah. His last words is, Does that pet store have any food down there? <laughs> and then he fell over. And that's what we're talking about. Being genuine. Is there any bread in the house of God? Is there any substance for somebody to come here and hear the word of God and be changed? Are we just preaching politics or this or that? Is there any bread in the house of God? Where's the beef? Right? A house of God should be preaching the word of God. Be genuine. Is there any prayer in the house of God? You mean Jesus was serious about that being a house of prayer thing? Oh, yeah. He's totally serious about a lot of things that the church are to be. Some of them I was thinking about is being serious about sharing our faith as a church. Being serious about sharing the gospel of Jesus. Being serious about water baptism because he commanded it. We got a baptism over there. If you guys want to get water baptized, sign up in the back. How about getting baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire? That's what he really wants. That's what he died to do to make us have the ability to be filled with more of him, more of his spirit, more of his glory. Where have I heard that? He's serious about us making disciples. He's not, he's not saying, okay, y'all go out and just gather big crowds. Oh, you got a thousand people to come to your church. Great. But none of them are changing. That's not making disciples. He wants us to make disciples. He's serious about us loving one another. Actually getting to know one another. To be involved in each other's lives. To serve one another. That's what life groups are here to, designed to help us do. Everything that we're trying to do, everything that we're hearing from God, is to lead us to be a genuine church that does the things that Jesus has asked us to do as a church. Tickling ears with foolish preaching only fills the house with fools. And I don't see you as a fool. And I don't think you need for me to stand up here and try to fool you. I think you need the Word of God. And sometimes the Word of God steps on your toes. I'm sorry. But it's going to make you grow. It's going to help you. We're always going to be trying to try to be genuine to the will of Jesus for His church. Jesus is genuine. Jesus is relevant, and we're going to be relevant. And I know a lot of people have bad connotations because people have taken that word and caused it to mean things that we we. It's not what we mean. Some people think relevant means outdoing the world with uh, lights and smoke and choreography and and programs, and architecture, and, you know, building big buildings and all that kind of thing, or, or being hip, so to speak, relevant in that sense. No, to us, it means meeting people where they are in their life, 
being relevant to people in their life, speaking a language that people can understand and helping raise them to Christ. Meeting people where they are. We're not trying to outdo concert down at FedEx Forum. We're trying to meet people where they are. If if we have bait, we have lights, none of that, but that's not being relevant. It's not being stuck in the 80s either where we got the little overhead where you put the sheet on it, you know, we're watching. We're not, we want to be relevant in people's life. We want to uh, meet people where they're at. Now, the devil is always trying to coax the religious people into uh, focusing on pomp and circumstance and and hierarchy. And, you know, they were wearing the long robes and uh, trying to be something, make everybody feel like uh, the common man always being told how common he is. You, you know, you don't rise to my level. You know, the Pharisees were an example you know, a hierarchy of untouchable holy men. You got to go through me to get to God. You know, confess your sins to me and I'll tell you how many prayers to say so that you can be forgiven. That's just, that's not right. That's not being relevant. They tried to shame Jesus out of being relevant. They said, well, he eats with sinners. You're not going to follow him, are you? He eats with sinners. Jesus said, I didn't come for the people who think they're well. I came for those who know they're sick. If you're going to win sinners, you got to be, you got to eat with the sinners. You got to be relevant to the sinners. You got to meet them where they're at. They tried to shame Jesus out of being relevant. They tried to say, oh, he's born in from Nazareth. There's no good thing come out of Nazareth. That's, they were putting him in a class. See, the Pharisees, everything, it was the hierarchy. They wanted to see themselves as above everybody else. They wanted to put everybody else in a class. Oh, people come from Nazareth. Ain't nothing good come from Nazareth. Is that your king? Come riding up on a donkey? <laughs> he couldn't be the Messiah. There's no way. He comes from Nazareth. Riding on a donkey. Eating with sinners. That's your king? And it, that kind of thinking rubbed off on his disciples too. They were like disgusted that he would eat with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, or talk with the Samaritan woman at the well. They were, he's not, she's a Samaritan. I don't know what it was. Jews and Samaritans had this rift going on like the Republicans and Democrats or something. It was bad. And they were disgusted. They were talking among themselves. Is he, is he talking with a woman? Why is he letting these little children climb all over him? Get these children out of here. They're not worthy to come to him. Jesus says, no, no. I beg your pardon. They said to him, Jesus, you're doing all these miracles and everything, but you're just doing them among common folks. Why don't you go to the big wigs? Why don't you go to the big city and show them what you can do, Jesus? You could be famous. A little bit later, they said, Jesus, why are you washing my feet? He says, I'm showing myself to the people that matter. All people 
matter. All people matter to Jesus. Religion seeks to put as many levels between you and God as it possibly can. But Christianity seeks to be relevant. True Christianity, the heart of Jesus, is for us to be relevant. Jesus was born one of us. He was born in a manger. He dressed like us. He communicated on our level. When he told parables to farmers, he talked about planting seed and and crops and grapes and all this. When he talked to fishermen, he would talk about parables having to do with fishing and stuff. He related. He spoke the language. And so if we backed off on saying hallelujah and praise the Lord and it was only so that we wouldn't seem like these Christianese people to the new folks. So that we could relate and we could I could speak. I'm not trying to to uh read out of the King James and and just you're like, what does that mean? So that I can explain it and make myself look good? No, I we changed the uh version of the Bible so that a trusted version of the Bible, the same Bible that just spoke in modern-day English so modern-day folks could understand it. Seemed like an obvious thing for me. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to impress anybody by doing that or by, by doing the other. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, When I'm with those who are weak... I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find some common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul said, I try to become all things to all people. I'm not trying to make myself out anything. I'm trying to communicate here. I'm trying to communicate this love that has been given to me the best I can, speak to them in a language that they understand. You know, when I preach down at the jailhouse on Sunday nights, I am fully aware that in that congregation, in that jailhouse, is probably people with a greater calling on their life than me. There might be the next Billy Graham sitting out there that I'm preaching to. I'm not coming up there saying, well, I'm not in those yellow jumpsuits. I'm better than y'all. I am fully aware that those guys are loved by Jesus just as much as I am. I am not trying to put on airs like and pretend that I'm better than them. That would be crazy. Some of them probably got more degrees than I got. You know, I ain't got any degrees. I don't have a PhD. But what I have found is that my greatest strength is being transparent and being real. And some of you are like, you're too real, Pastor. I've heard some of your stories. I've got a lifetime. I've got 32 years of stories before I gave my heart to Jesus. I know where I came from. And my, my biggest strength in communicating God's heart to others is that I, I can do it without distraction because I'm not putting me in between them and God. I'm on the same playing field with the rest of you. We're all in this together. I'm not afraid to ask for you to pray for me because I got feelings and situations in my life too. We're all in this together, I can promise you. 
I think about Miss Anita. When she's back there with the children, I often see her sitting on the floor and she's got them in a circle. You know why she does that? So she can be eye level with them and they respond to her. They love her. They can feel her love for them. She's sitting eye level with them. She's communicating. That's being relevant. That's being relevant. That's being all things to all people that in order that I might could reach some. And those children love her for that. You know, as a relevant church, in here you're free to be who God called you to be. We're not trying to make you some cookie-cutter Christian where we all look the same, dress the same, act the same, speak the same. We believe that God has called you to a specific life. He made you His masterpiece. He made you the way He wanted you to be. He knows where you are and He knows the road you got left to travel and He's willing to travel it with you and He's put you in a place that where people will walk it with you. Because we love one another. We're bearing with one another. Bearing each other's burdens. We're trying to be as relevant as we can possibly be. And in doing so, it means that you're free to love others without worrying what somebody's going to think. You can love anybody in here and nobody's going to say, oh, they're, they're loving that kind of person. That, those thoughts don't enter this realm. Don't let these thought, those kind of thoughts enter this realm. Everyone matters. That's the kind of church that we want to be. Everyone matters. Everyone is relevant. Jesus told the parable about the good Samaritan. There's those Samaritans again. The, the Jews hated them. And this Jewish guy was going on a journey, and he got whooped by some robbers, and they, they took all his stuff and left him in the ditch about to die. And it says a priest walks by on the other side of the road. And then it says, a Levite. Now, a Levite, born of the tribe of Levi. Oh, he's got, what do you call it, when you're born into a good family? Come on, teacher. You, he's got pedigree. He's, he's from the tribe of Levi. He's, he's, he's of the priestly tribe of Levi. It says that he not only walked on the other side, he stopped to look. I'm glad I ain't like that. Now, he didn't, the Bible didn't say that. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's the way I picture it. And he, either way, he walked on. Didn't lay a hand to help. But a despised Samaritan stopped, picked the man up, dressed his wounds, helped him get up on his own donkey that he's supposed to be riding, and let him ride the donkey to the nearest inn, got him fixed up, told the guy if he needs anything else when I, until I come back, give it to him, and I'll pay you when I get back. I'll pay for this man's to get better. And Jesus said, which one of these three do you suppose was a neighbor to that man? And even the Pharisees had to say, well, I suppose the one that showed him mercy. Well, the question I have today, in light of that parable, which one of those three was relevant to that man? Isn't it saying the same thing? Which one was relevant to that man? Please don't let anybody come in here and, and listen and us act like they're not relevant to us. Everyone matters. Jesus was genuine 
and he was relevant, and oh, was he passionate. Jesus was really passionate. John 15, 11 says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. His joy is so powerful, he calls it my joy. That you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow if you got my joy. His, he got so much joy that if you get some of it, yours is going to overflow. He is passionate. We see him on TV in these movies and stuff, and he's always so serious and somber. And you think he's never going to crack a smile or anything. But I, that doesn't describe what I'm seeing here. He's saying, man, if you get some of my joy, you're going to be, you're going to be, whoo! You're going to be overflowing too. And, you know, some people have had something to say about us being a fun-loving family. They say, fun in church, I don't think that's scriptural. <laughs> if your joy is overflowing, if you have the joy of the Lord and it's overflowing, you tell me you're not going to have any fun? I would be at questioning your church that is not a fun-loving church. Come on. Come on, why aren't all churches fun-loving? Why, why would you go and think it's okay to sit in there and be unexcited about your Lord and Savior? Just a thought, I don't know. Jesus was passionate about His Father's work. Oh, He was passionate about us getting the job done. He sent the 72 out to minister, two by two. They came back and said, we cast out doubles. We did all these things in your name. They were so excited, and Jesus was too. He was leaping for joy. It says in Luke 10, 21, about that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He was filled. Have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you've been filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, my goodness, it emotes. It evokes passion. The Holy Spirit changes whatever situation He comes into. Some of us need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. You got filled back in 1979, but you have leaked since then. And the Bible says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually. An ongoing presence. Every day I try to get up and say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. I need you for today. I need this joy. And Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit because the work of His Father's house was being done and He was passionate about His Father's house. Let me tell you, when He walked up in there and they was using His house to, like a den of thieves, He cleansed the temple. There was anger in Jesus when His Father's house was being abused. That's what we're talking about here. The church is kind of a big deal. The church is kind of a big deal. I didn't know this till I started studying it out, but apparently Jesus cleansed the temple twice. You look it up. In John chapter 2, He cleansed the temple. Early on in His ministry. And then on the, the week, Passion Week, before He got crucified, He cleansed it again. If I'm wrong on that, y'all let me know. He was, 
passionate. He was passionate about his closeness with the Father. Are you? And how, how serious is it to you when you're, you're feeling dry and you're not feeling close to the Lord and you feel those embers dying out in your heart? Jesus, when He was on the cross, He was hanging there from three nails, you see. He'd been beat to within an inch of His life, carried that cross up the hill. Now He's there hanging like a piece of beef. And they say that the way they would crucify him, they would hang at such an angle that they would have to continually put the weight on those nails and just excruciating pain just so they could get a breath because there was a, it was an asphyxiation going on. And many of them would die because of lack of oxygen. Eventually, they couldn't lift themselves any longer and they would just sit there and die because they couldn't breathe. And Jesus said seven things from the cross. And one of the things that He said Apparently, instead of just breathing to live and whispering it out, he was so passionate that he saved up his breath. It says in Matthew 27, 46, that Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sastani! My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You don't see the passion in that. He had never been away from the Father. But because of our sin, all of our sin was poured on Him. He became, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the Father had to look away lest He be destroyed. And He cried out with every bit of passion that a man or a God could muster and said, My God, my God. all the breath that he could gather the very crucifixion itself is called the passion of the Christ Jesus is passionate about you the shortest scripture in the Bible is Jesus wept it might be the most powerful Scripture in the Bible because we see God cried. He's not a far off robot. He's a relevant, genuine, in your face, on your cross, dying for you, relevant, loving, crying for you, God. John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept. He had just gotten to the tomb of Lazarus. And Martha had come out and said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. He said, didn't I tell you that I am the resurrection and the life? And then Mary comes running out with all the mourners, and she fell at his feet and said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And he looked out and saw all these people weeping and crying, and it said a deep anger welled up in Jesus. Anger? Why is he mad? The Bible doesn't tell us. Is he mad because of their doubt and unbelief? Because they're looking at the resurrection and the life and they're still only seeing death? 
Is he mad at just the human condition? Or is he mad at sin? For the suffering that it causes our lives. The wages of sin is death and it's destroying us. And it said a deep anger welled up inside of him. And he wept. And I'm not talking about just a little tear. Oh, Lazarus is gone. Because the people around said, look how much he loved him. I'm talking about a wailing weep. I, I can picture it. Oh, And I always want to weep sometimes when I see what sin has done to my congregation, to my people. And I can imagine that if I just love you as much as I can humanly love you, how much does Jesus just want to cry over sin and weep over what we've become and weep over our lack of passion? Jesus knew what He was about to do. He knew in just a few minutes their weeping would be turned to joy and they'd be saying, He's alive! Lazarus is alive! He knew that He was fixing to wipe all that away, but yet He wept. He wasn't cavalier about it. Oh, you just watch what I'm fixing to do. And you know what He knows? He knows that soon that trumpet's going to sound and you're going to be up in heaven with Him and there's going to be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. He knows that everything is about to be okay, but yet He still weeps for us today. He still looks at our situation right now, and He's in it with you. He's in the fire with you. He's passionate for you. We serve a passionate, passionate God. And I don't apologize for being a passionate pastor. How could I? I would have to apologize if I wasn't. <laughs> it reminds me of that joke. There was a, a farmer who used to come to this little hometown church. And they would, get, they would sing the hymns. And he would get so excited about the hymns, he would sing out loud. He would sing louder than the rest. He couldn't sing at all. And they would be over there putting up their nose. Oh, let's go over here. He would sing, and then the preacher would start preaching. Well, the Bible said, and when he'd get in the Bible, he was one of those ameners. Amen, Pastor. Amen. And he would talk about Jesus on the cross. And oh, glory, Pastor. Hallelujah. Preach it, Pastor. He, and the pre preacher preached another scripture. He just couldn't contain himself. He'd get up around the church and go, Glory to God! Glory to God! He'd, start, Woo! He'd do this number here. He was just so passionate. Glory to God. Well, the congregation didn't like none of that. He's uncouth. Something wrong with that guy. And they got together and they went to the pastor and they said, Pastor... You're going to have to go talk to Farmer Brown. He's making us undignified. He's embarrassing our church. Pastor said, yes, you're right. You're right. I'll go talk to him tomorrow. So he went to Pastor Brown's house out on his farm. And he, or, did I say Pastor Brown? Farmer Brown, he knocked on his door. 
It's my joke. I'll tell it how I want to. <laughs> he knocked on the door. Nobody come to the door. He looked around the house. He looked out in the back. And Farmer Brown's out there with his mule plowing the field. He goes out there. Farmer Brown says, Farmer Brown, I'd like to speak with you for a moment. Yeah, Pastor, good to see you. You never come to my house before. So good to see you. Shook his hand. What can I do for you, Pastor? Anything, anything. He says, well, to be honest, some people in the church are concerned about uh, your singing voice and you're singing too loud and you're distracting and uh, your activity, you're, you're crying out during the church and, and all that. And Farmer Brown said, I'm sorry, Pastor. I, I really want to apologize. I, I know I, I can't sing that well. It's just when we, those hymns, when they start talking about Jesus on the cross and how he paid the penalty for me, and I know where I came from, Pastor, and I just get excited. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to try to control myself, Pastor. He says, well, it's not just that, Farmer Brown. It's, it's running around the church and the shouting, and it's, it's kind of out of control. I know, Pastor. It's just when you get to preaching on Jesus and, and, and I think about this little shack I'm living in and how you said that we got a mansion in heaven and Jesus is up there way. Hey, here, hold my mule, Pastor. I got a shout, glory! <laughs> Hallelujah! Don't be ashamed of your shout for Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed to be passionate. Hold my mule, Jesus. <laughs> Well, I'll give you some glory. You were born to be genuine and passionate and irrelevant. That's the way you were created to be. This world has tried to beat it out of you, but guess what? You're still in church today. You're doing good. Keep coming. Keep coming. The world has tried to beat your passion out, but you're still here. The devil's tried to deceive you and get you off the genuine, but you're still reading the Word of God. You're still trying to be relevant. That's who you are. And if you're not, let me ask you, how would your life change if you became those things? Stop worrying about your, your dignity and your couth and all that stuff. And start worrying about being who you were created to be. You would be free. You were created to be free. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. You in the right church. Church is kind of a big deal. <laughs> now I preach myself happy. We ought to do that every Sunday. All right, preach yourself happy, brother. Preach yourself happy. Preach yourself happy. You preach yourself happy every Sunday. This is the house of the Lord. It's supposed to be overflowing with joy. This is where joy comes to live. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.